0: Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today, we're talking with my friend, John Lee Dumas. He's been on the show before. We're talking about focus, discipline, productivity, and responsibility. Some uh, some war stories in there, some light war stories, fear not, in there, and some definite techniques and tricks for super productive people, uh, or if you're not so productive, techniques and tricks to get there. Enjoy the show with John Lee Dumas. And remember, if you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the AOC Toolbox. That's where we discuss things like reading body language, having charismatic nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking, influence, mentorship, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. Check out theartofcharm.com for that and also at the slash podcast. You can find the full show notes for this and all previous episodes of the show. All right, here's John Lee Dumas. Here with John Lee Dumas, founder and host of EO Fire. A lot of people, look, I'm just going to face facts. I think most people know what Entrepreneur on Fire is if they listen to podcasts. It's a, an award winning podcast, which is always a big deal. And you, I mean, are you still doing seven days a week? You're still doing seven days a week, right? Seven days a week, brother. That's insane. I mean, <laughs> that's really, really crazy. I, there's, that's just so much content. Do you, do you ever, just kind of forget what's happening in the middle of the show. Cause you're like, Oh my God, I've done so many of these. Like I'm, I just tuned back. Do you ever go in full autopilot mode and you're like, wait, what? Oh yeah. I'm on air.
1: Like, you know, that Will Ferrell speech where like he, or it wasn't the speech where he was actually like at that event and he just kind of blacked out and came up with the right answer. And then he was like, I don't even know how I did that. Like sometimes I finish episodes
0: and I'm like, I don't even know what I said during that entire interview, but we're just going to go with it. Right. It was like Ignite, and then there was a book involved and like some software as a service. And then, like, I flashed but not forward. <laughs> Suddenly, I was eating a burrito and then I went to sleep. Yeah. Uh, all of the above. 1400 plus interviews, which is just nuts. I mean,. This has been going on for a long time. I mean, you've been doing it for such a long time, and you've been on the show a few times, so of course people are familiar. But t- tell me a little bit about what's going on with you lately. Let's what's what are you working on right now that that you're using to master your productivity? That how are you, well? Let me back up the truck. How do you even stay disciplined and focused enough? <laughs> To do shows every single day because you you do have a life. You go on vacation, you move around like you've got events and stuff like that. So it's not just like, yeah, I'm unemployed. So I just, you know, I do the show every day. I mean, you've got (laughs) other things going on. How do you stay focused and never skip a beat?
1: So I say focus because I'm really disciplined to the fact that I'm going to work hard sometimes and then basically not work at all other times. And that kind of balance gives me the ability not to burn out. So this is going to sound crazy to a lot of people. And it would have sound crazy to me, believe me, back circa 2012, just like, you know, to compare it to like a marathon runner, like I, I couldn't run 26.2 miles tomorrow or 0.1 miles tomorrow. I couldn't do it. Like I'm just not in marathon shape, but just like a marathoner builds up to that and being able to run a marathon, like over the last 1500 now episodes, like I've built up the stamina to where I now on the first Monday and the first Tuesday of every month. So basically, you know, the first and the second of every month around there. I'm doing 15 interviews each on those two days. So in two days a month, I'm recording 30 podcast interviews, which means the other 28, 29 days of the month, I'm doing other things. I mean, that might be working on a project or a book or a community or something, or it might just be like, you know, I just got back from a 21-day vacation to Maine where I did not do much of anything except ski and hang out with family because I had that batching process down, that discipline focus to say, I'm gonna sit down, crush it for two days. And by the way, it wasn't easy. And I was burned out and I was like, oh my God, my head's about to pop off. But after those two days, I was like, okay, now I've just freed up the next
0: 28, 29 days of my life to go do other things. Did you find when you first started that, because a lot of people right now who are listening are going, wait a second. I I, All right, I'm going to batch this. But then somewhere after lunch on day one of a day two or two day binge (laughs) of work, they're going, I don't know how I'm going to, do this did you when you first started this process were you already did you have this the stamina to do this yeah. or was it something you built over time totally built over time and
1: number one let me kind of back up don't eat lunch during these two days at all. That will just kill you. You you literally you can't eat. You have to be on just a straight purge of food because if you eat, you're gonna to want to go right to sleep. So so skip food for sure. Wow. But for me, day day one back when I was interviewing people, I was trying my best to do one to two interviews a day, and I'd be done. Like I'd be going and lying up in a little ball on my bed, trying to recover for a couple hours. Like you know, after I interviewed Seth Godin, for instance, I'll never forget. I was just like, I can't do anything the rest of the day. I was so amped up for that interview that I just crashed, like I was on drugs or something. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was me back in 2012. I built it up over like a year and a half to where I was doing four episodes, like four on a Monday and then four on a Thursday. So kind of doing my eight-ish you know interviews a week then. So I had like that one buffer for like a cancellation or something. Then I moved it up into 2014 where I was doing eight interviews every single Tuesday. And for a long time, Jordan, that was my thing. That was every Tuesday I was, getting amped up for those eight interviews back to back. And that allowed me to go forward. And then May 1st came and I moved to Puerto Rico and I said, you know, I want to be able to travel a lot more. I want to be able to not be kind of anchored to my computer and to my desk one day a week. I want even more freedom than that. So I, Kind of said, I'm gonna give it a try. Kate's like, you're insane. Like, you're not even gonna survive. And to be frank, it was tough the first round. But now I'm like on the seventh or eighth iteration of that, and I kind of now look forward to it because now I've gone like 28, 29 days without talking to anybody on, you know, on my show. And I'm like, I kind of miss it. And so like I look forward to the days. You know, by the middle of day two, I'm over it. But I, I suck it up <laughs> and press on. But you know, that is the process that I built to.
0: Yeah, I've always wondered about that because a lot of people go, oh, man, I'm beat or how do you do this every day? And I'm like, well, I look forward to it. And now so much of the process is is not necessarily on autopilot, but is, is so practiced that yes. I'm not worried about. It. And, you know, you got like a producer here working with us, so it's easier to not. I can outsource some of that thinking. But yeah, yeah, I used to
1: do my show notes. I used to Ugh. do my editing. I don't do any of that stuff anymore. So it's just yeah. there's a lot
0: less to what I do. Right. You can focus on the part that you actually enjoy. And it's it is interesting to talk about how this is something that's that goes with stamina because it's really easy to say yeah, I hit the gym and, oh, I, I went and benched uh, pretty light and then I did these these really light squats and, oh, my God, I'm so sore. How does everybody do this? But you, we all know that, yeah, if you go to the gym once a month, you're sore every time. But if you go to the gym three times a week, you're, you don't really get sore. Even after hard workouts, you're like, oh, I'm a little sore. It feels good. You look forward to that, but you're not like, I can't go. I'm tanked. Right. I'm, I'm gassed out. So it's the same thing with talking, which uses a lot of energy. And I would imagine just the thinking on the fly. And it's been so long for me and, and, and you for that matter. It's been the better part of a decade for both of us. Uh, it's been over a decade for me and the better part of a decade for you that, that I kind of forgot what it's like. But, yeah, I mean, there's neural pathways being built here and blah, blah, blah. Right. right. The, that are that are happening. That, and the brain, actually, as I found out somewhat recently, uses a ton of energy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it you know, use like twenty five
0: percent of like your overall energy, which is just kind of sitting there as a blob, right? Which is why in sort of humans past and pre humans and stuff like that, and I just learned this from this book *Sapiens* that I read recently. The brain is such an energy hog that it wasn't efficient to have a big brain that can do it. pretty much anything humans can do for millions and millions of years, because it was like, oh, you might not eat for three weeks, so you just have to be able to deal with that. But if you have a big, if you have a human brain, you're just you're dead. That's it. You don't That book is so fascinating, by the
1: way. And I think that everybody needs to read that at least once. I've actually read that book through twice. And the biggest takeaway that I actually got from that book the second time I read it through is that your brain is such an energy hog that it actually... It tries to psych- psychologically trick you from thinking too hard, like that. It really does. It wants you just to do the quick, easy little win, so it doesn't have to take too much energy, so that you can survive. And for me, that was like, oh, that's why it's so hard to focus. Like that's why it's so hard to sit down and like do the work. And like that Stephen Pressfield book, you know, the War of Art. Right. Like, that's why the resistance is there because you know, and it's more difficult now than ever. Jordan, too, because we have these little wins—the Facebooks and the emails and the Instagrams and the Snapchats. Like we have all these little goodies that our brain can kind of just. Glob us towards so we don't have to
0: sit down and really do quality Productive work and and that's scary. Yeah, it is scary and it's also the I would imagine and and again I, I haven't gotten to this part of the book I don't think but it's I would imagine this is the birth of cognitive bias, right because your brain's like look All right, I I don't want to have to do this work every time. I'm going to come up with some rules of thumb that are true some of the time that are safe assumptions, like out-group bad, in-group good, or, you know, oh, it looks that way at first glance. I don't need to do any further investigation. I'm just going to make a harsh judgment on this and dot, dot, dot survival. And that's where we get cognitive biases, and that's why we can't we can't really stop doing them without. Well, we can. We we just have to use even more energy to outsmart our own bias, which takes up a lot of, again, brain power slash calories slash energy. So it's uh, interesting. That that book was super interesting. How did you hear about it? By the way, how do you normally hear about books besides interviewing people every day? Is that your normal source?
1: Well, that is honestly a huge source. Um, I also like love like the magazines, like success magazine, fast company, Inc. Like I'm a, scri- a subscriber to those and they're always kind of talking about this book or that book. So those are kind of my main ways that I hear about books. And I just heard of that book as saying like, this book is taking over Silicon Valley. And I was like, well, I'm not sure what that means, but I wouldn't mind reading the, the kind of pre-op of it. So what I love to do with Kindle now is you can just download the sample and mm-hmm. you can read like the first five or 6% of the book. And for me, if a book can't. Grip me by then. Like, yeah. sweet, I've just saved my money. But the thing is, I was like, oh my God, I want to read this book now. And I've now read it twice, which I super rarely
0: ever read books twice. So this was a special one. Yeah. You booked book and reading stuff is actually tricky because to read a book again, you've got to go, all right, I've got a hundred books on my wish list in limited time. Why would I ever read something again? So it, it is pretty high praise, especially if you read it. Kind of right after you read it once, and you're like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, let me go back and do that again. That's a that's a serious mark of of content dense stuff. And in that book, yeah, Sapiens. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Super interesting. Basically, human history. Uh, don't read it if you're super religious because it'll like white. It'll you know you it won't make any sense to you because it's about yes, evolution.
1: That, <laughs> that is true. You will not like that book. Yes, you
0: will. You'll be like, but the no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Um <laughs> I don't want to go there at all. Right. So focus and discipline, got it. But were you were you disciplined all the time cuz focus is separate from discipline in many ways, right? Like if you're naturally good at focusing, sure, maybe you can sit down and do a bunch of work all at once. Um but if you have to have discipline to go not going to take the, uh, the pull that string, not going to follow that shiny object. Don't you run into fires a lot? I mean, you run a business, you run a company. Aren't there fires literally, and figurative fires, literally every day that are like, John, I need your attention on this. And you're like, yeah, I'm recording things for two days and 20 minute blocks. Like, go fly a kite. I can't deal with this. How do you stop that from distracting? Distracting. Yeah, so... Distraction is everywhere. And, you
1: know, being a military guy, like I do love the phrase weapons of mass distraction mm-hmm. will break you down. And, and, you know, kind of going back to your question about discipline, like that is where actually my discipline was developed was in the military. Like I graduated in 2002 as an armor officer and spent eight years for active the reserves as an armored platoon leader, like as an officer in the U.S. Army. And you sink or swim based on your discipline, based on how disciplined you are to being able to create a plan and then execute on that plan. And so I realized early on that if I was going to lead a platoon into war, which we did in Iraq, 2003-2004 timeframe, I was going to have to, for the first time really in my life, Learn and be disciplined because, you know, I just wasn't. I was your typical 22, 23 year old that was, you know, much more focused on where the cake party is going to be that night than, you know, what is the right order of operation march? You know, if we're gonna court on this town at night and, you know, and make sure that we don't let any insurgents leave. Like there's a whole different mindset that goes into that. So I was able to kind of take that learning with that discipline. And of course, you know, you have to mix in a little bit of a focus there um, into when I launched EO Fire that kind of allowed me to build those systems and automations that said, Hey, like I can actually do a daily podcast, but build a business too. Because Jordan, there's, that's what a lot of people are telling me when I launched. And I'm not sure what you were hearing because you've been around at this significantly longer than I have, but they were saying, John. You can't monetize a podcast directly. So if you're doing a daily podcast, that's gonna take up all of your time. Right. And since podcasts themselves can't make money, how are you gonna make money? And this is by the way, this was Cliff Ravenscraft. This was Jamie Masters of the Eventual Manager. These were the top podcast mentors telling me these things. And so I was like, wow, I should probably listen to them and at least do a deeper dive into you know how true this can and is. And it did bring up some red flags.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's so funny because my, well, nobody even knew what a podcast was, including me when we started. It was brand right. new. The shows, that, the shows that were around back then were like, I think, Leo Laporte, um, a couple of others that still exist, and everything else is just done. I mean, it was all, like, I remember when iTunes got cover art, and we were like, whoa, you can add an image to your show. This is awesome. This is really cool. Because <laughs> before it was just a podcast symbol, like, it was just, a, and it was a list. It was a, It was all ugly to say the Uh. least yeah but uh, no nostalgia for that what's (laughs) what's it like though having people and this is totally tangential to the topic at hand in a way but what's it like having the responsibility like literal life and death responsibility if you're trying to cordon off a town in Iraq aren't I mean I talk about checking your work what what is it what are you feeling in the moment where you're like oh god I hope nobody dies because I was just had a brain fart I mean that sounds I don't want that level of responsibility
1: yeah, and neither did I. And, and then and sadly, you know, it's just one of those things that because. Of timing, you know, timing just was everything. And so for me, I just happened to be the first round of commissioned officers post 9/11. And so guess what? We were in war. But guess what? The four years before me, when people graduated, the person that graduated in 1994 from Providence or from ni- even from e- the graduated in 19 you know like 96, like that person just spent four years kind of twiddling their thumbs on a base, you know, which I thought I was doing until I was a senior in college and I woke up and saw the twin towers burning in New York City, and like that was just like this, okay, timing, I guess my life is going to be different now. So now I'm going to actually make like this mindset shift and take this responsibility that I know I'm going to have when I'm in war. And so when I found myself in that situation, you know, a short time later, it was about a year, a year and a half later, I was actually in that situation from when I saw those smoking towers. I was like, you know, this is what I've been training for for a year, and this is, you know, the mindset that I need to have going forward because I'm not this 22 year old college student. I'm, you know, now I'm a "quote unquote" 23 year old army officer. Like, there's this huge difference. There's not, but I had to make that difference, that mindset shift, and take on that responsibility because now you do have lives literally in your hands. Um, Because when you're an armored platoon leader, you have 16 men, you have four tanks that you are commanding. And frankly, you don't really know that much because you haven't been in that world that long. So fortunately you look around and you see the discipline that's been grown from that platoon that's been operating together for years. My platoon sergeant was 51 years old. So he'd been in the army longer than I had been alive. So you have to look around and say, you know, who's been there, who's done that, you know, who has the discipline, the structure, the focus that has, has done this before maybe even though it's only been in training but I can learn from them so you start to rely on the people around you and you really say we're gonna do this as a team I'm not gonna do this as a solo officer we're gonna do this as a platoon
0: yeah Yeah, this this seems a little scary because I can imagine, I was in ROTC when I was in college, and I remember being like, oh, I don't have the discipline for this, but I remember right. all the other people being like, and this is 1999 or 1998, going like, dude, all you have to do is, is make it through four years of like not that hard ROTC. They pay for your school. Yeah, there's some bureaucratic BS, but then you're going to serve, you're going to be a commissioned officer, you're going to like sit around in Florida or Maryland, or if you're lucky, Hawaii or some place cool, maybe even get to go abroad, work on your language skills, and then you're just catapulted it with no debt, uh, with a bunch of cool military experience, with a bunch of like friends from back in the day, and you got to kind of extend your childhood a little bit in in a way, because it's military, it's a bunch of bros, whatever, and and ladies there kind of acting up, because we're all young. And then you're (laughs) launched into the working world, and you're just just gonna remember those days fondly. And then, two years later, I was out of ROTC, because I was just like, I don't have, speaking of discipline, I cannot handle this, I'm going insane, I wanted to learn Russian and Arabic, and they were like, no, we need engineers. And I'm like, I'm not switching my major, I like languages, of course that, then (laughs) two years later, they're like, we need Russian, we need Arabic, we need it now. And I just thought, like, oh, God, it's like they don't even know what they're doing. So I left, and then all my friends who were still in ROTC were, like, almost overnight. Same thing like you, just went, oh, man, wait, hold on a second. We're Iraq? Oh, Oh, Afghanistan? Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I just thought I was getting this easy free ride. Like, I don't think I'm going to be stationed in Maryland anymore. It looks like we're going to where? I've never even heard of this. Let me Google Earth this. Oh, God, that's ugly, right? It was just kind of... Immediately, some guys were really excited. Most guys were kind of thinking, maybe I'm not going to be able to work for my dad's company part time after college, right? If I, <laughs> like, or like, maybe I'm going to have to sort of take a, a harder look at what's happening here. And it was uh, uh, it was kind of uncertain. And I remember just thinking to myself, "Wow, I am so glad." Not because I'm I'm afraid to serve or afraid to go do that. I'm afraid to screw that up. Not afraid to go there. I'm afraid to blow it while I am there, and then somebody else pays the price and i can never forget it
1: wow well it's the weight of the world on your shoulders yeah i can say that, um truly you know 37 years old now so this is you know over a decade since i've been an active duty officer and you know of my 16 men you know four didn't come back like four did make the ultimate sacrifice and those are scars that i still literally do carry around to this day and 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 always will because it's it's something that i failed at as an officer in the u.s army and that was my ultimate responsibility and it just was a failure.
0: Wait, so while you were doing, while you were—I don't even. What do you call this? I don't want to say on missions. It sounds like I've been playing Call yeah, of Duty. Yeah, during my
1: tour, tour yeah.
0: during my tour of duty, while you know, while I was deployed
1: to Iraq, uh, six, uh, four of my sixteen soldiers, uh, did not make it back. They were
0: killed in action. And this is basically unavoidable, right? I mean, are you just thinking about, oh, I made a ton of mistakes here. Oh, this is my fault. Or are you like, look, we did everything, and you know, this person still got shot or, you know, something or booby like some. Do you feel like it was unavoidable? Because it seems like a lot of that stuff is unavoidable.
1: Some of the situations were unavoidable. Some of them you can go back and you can say, well, you know, if we would have taken a left instead of taking a right, you know, we wouldn't have hit that IED or, you know, we wouldn't have gotten that sniper fire. So you can always like just kind of put holes in, you know, your excuses and things that you did or didn't do. And, you know, for me, I just learned then that I could always be doing that or I can just say, you know what, I'm going to take a hundred percent responsibility for what happens in my life with them
0: and with everything going forward. And that was kind of the mentality I took. Yeah. I, I mean, it seems like it would be so easy to beat yourself up over that, but you could have made a left instead of a right and they could have had snipers there too. You will literally never know.
1: That's true. I mean we could have gone left instead of right and then you know we might have lost half of our platoon right. instead of twenty five. Yeah, we might
0: not be having this conversation because you made a left. Like so, so you- true. Because you can you can play that game all you want. And we can do it people do it in business as well, right? I look back and I go, If only I had not hired this person, or if only I'd thought of doing this. Oh, I wish I'd gotten in on I mean, everybody does this with some area of their life. It's just usually the consequences are much lower, right? If only I invested in Yahoo in the nineties or Google in two thousand and one, I'd be so rich right, right now. It's right. it's just that there's less weight on your shoulders. It seems more forgivable to think, Oh, yeah, I wasn't really paying attention to the market at that point, versus Something that that other people maybe had to had to deal with the consequences thereof. Uh, I just say I just say I didn't have any money back then, which is true. Right? Yeah. There's also that. There's <laughs> also that. excuses, excuses, right? <laughs> right. Um. So I would imagine that at some level, this informs your discipline. It informs your focus, not just because you built the habits while you were there, but you kind of realize, like, wow, there were other guys, pretty much same bucket as me, that it it, it must be kind of hard to waste knowingly, willingly waste your potential after coming back from Iraq, seeing a country where there's a lot less opportunity and having been around people where they literally gave their lives and it's hard to come back and go, nah, I'm bored, I'm just gonna play Xbox all day, right? It seems like there would be some motivation, not just because you're like, wow, life is good, but because you, you can't waste it.
1: It's so true. And I can actually honestly say this because it wasn't like one situation that we lost all four of those soldiers. Like it was throughout the 13 months that that happens. And at every single one of those funerals, I can remember standing like at the actual casket and saying to myself, like this hero made the ultimate sacrifice, and I am committing to make sure that I, if I make it out of here, live a life that is you know worthy of his sacrifice. I'm not going to go and just get fat in some cubicle and like waste away my life because this this guy's this, this person's life was taken away from them. So that kind of always gave me strength throughout my life. Whenever I kind of got to that moment, like when I was in law school, and I was like. I hate this. Like I quit, like I dropped out of law school, which was the most
0: good like, it was call. Really the,
1: it was, it was the bravest thing I've ever had to do Jordan, because I mean, like I was in war, but like quitting law school was the bravest thing I had to do because like my father was so excited, you know, that he had paid for it. Like there's all these things going on and I knew that it was, I was just going down the wrong path. And I know so many people in my position just kept going and there's, and, and, and you know, they're just miserable now and they're, well, they're just happy. and yeah. they lawyers. Right. And, and you know, I don't want to pick on lawyers because, yeah. but, you know, but that was my scenario. But it's so many like, you know, people that started medical school and, you know, just I like to just say like, like sunk cost is such a fallacy. Like if you like wake up today and you let yesterday or decisions you made before like dictate your future like why like why are you doing that like there's an opportunity to say listen I'm going to go forward in the direction that I know that I should be moving forward today and that was always me because I was able to go back and kind of draw from that strength from every one of those sacrifices that I saw you know when I was deployed as an, as a soldier in Iraq and and it led me to where I am today
0: Yeah, I I can. I I do pick on lawyers in a joking way. Having been one, having went through (laughs) law school, I didn't have the foresight to go, gee, this isn't for me. I just thought, well, if I can handle it, I had this mindset of if I can handle it, I should do it, which is kind of dumb. It's kind of like those people who run a marathon every day for a month because they're like, well, I want to push myself. That's great. If you're challenging yourself physically, I, I even would rather run a marathon every day for a month. Then send someone through law school because the law, the the legal stuff, or the any school for that matter, medical school, whatever. If you're not super into it, you don't know what you're in for. You're basically planning for a career that you don't know if you're going to like, and you're going into massive debt, etc. And then you come out the other side going, "Well, all I did was show that I can do it." It's like, "Well, yeah, you could live your whole life that way." It doesn't mean you should, right? You know, there's a lot of regret involved there as well, and and this sort of leads into one of the topics I wanted to mention today, which is especially in legal careers and in entrepreneurship and things like that, you do run head first into Parkinson's Law. And I'd love for you to expound on that a little bit since, uh, since you and I both know this concept all too well.
1: Yeah, so Parkinson's law has been huge in my life and that's where tasks will expand to the time that's allotted and for so many people they just make these goals or they just set these you know this these plans of action into motion but they never like put it into a time frame and so they just wonder why it never gets accomplished or why nothing really moves or happens and it's because they're not putting in that time frame and that's where a lot of people ask me like when I launched the freedom journal last year which was accomplish your number one goal in 100 days people were like well John like why 100 days like why do you got to put a time limit on or you know or why not 50 or why not 200 like we were having all those conversations and i'm like like you know the the actual Number of days isn't as important as the fact that there are a certain number of days. Like, that's the critical thing that I want you guys to realize. Because if you put a number there, if you put a number of days, then all of a sudden now you have this time frame, this mindset you can get into. And so you don't fall into that Parkinson's Law, where tasks will expand to the time allotted, which is if you don't put anything in there, then it's indefinite. So that was what was key for the Freedom Journal. You know, I know that it struck a nerve with people. I mean, we became the sixth most funded publishing campaign of all time on Kickstarter with. Four Four hundred and fifty three thousand dollars of revenue in just thirty three days, and Jeez. you know your your podcast was a huge part of that, Jordan, because you know you have a lot of listeners who are looking to better themselves. And I was a guest on your show last time for that, and that was huge. And and to this day, we've actually now sold seventeen thousand hardcover Freedom Journals, um, and counting, because more sold every single day. So I just saw that that worked. That a physical product worked. That putting that time boundness works and that Parkinson's law, it just frankly works.
0: That's uh that's kind of crazy. The publisher I mean, what was the number one most self fight? It's like shades of gray two or fifty shades of gray two or something like that. <laughs> well if they had used Kickstarter, I'm sure they would have like blown it away,
1: but it was uh, Eric Reese's uh, book.
0: Oh, okay. Well, okay, so already sort of in the space and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Well well when we when we look at our work level or workload expanding to fit the time a lot, which I mean, I can absolutely vouch for that and as as can anyone who's ever done anything that lasts longer than a few hours can probably vouch right. for Parkinson's law. How do you both stay focused and stay sane? Because when you're doing your sort of binge or focus and whatnot, you you have to be taking breaks. You can't just plow through nonstop, pedal to the metal the whole time. You would go nuts. You'd burn out. You'd hate every second of it, and you wouldn't want to continue
1: yes all of those things happen and so what i'm really big on this is another thing that i did a ton of studying in 2016 because that was my main goal because i knew i was coming out with my next journal um so i was like okay i'm going to focus on these three things productivity discipline and focus and while i was uncovering what it meant to master those three skills which i know are really important if you're going to be a success as an entrepreneur um, as a businessman or woman I came across Pomodoro Technique, and that to me was a game changer. Like I, I learned of this. I, I'd heard of it plenty of times before, but I just never tried it. You know, we've all heard of, you know, Pomodoro Technique or Parkinson's Law. This, but we just never apply it to our lives until we do. And for me, that was early 2016. And I was blown away by what applying uh, Pomodoro technique did to my life. Like It was just an absolute game changer where I used to just be lucky to produce one thing of quality all day long, I would produce one thing of quality and whatever time frame I gave it under that pomodoro technique. And for a lot of people, I think the the traditional pomodoro technique was like 25 minutes of of focus time and then like a five minute break, like it's somewhere in that area. But that didn't work for me. And that's kind of one thing I want to stress to people that might want to try this as well is I found that was just way too short of a focus time and also way too short of what I've actually termed a refresh time. So I played around with that in early 2016 and my perfect Pomodoro technique is 42 minutes of focus time. That means no distractions, nothing but the one task I have in front of me, and then 18 minutes of refresh time. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Like that's ended up working for me. It's psychological, I'm sure, because you know, for some reason, 45 minutes sounded like like a lot of time, and 42 minutes just seemed like less. And 15 minutes seemed like a really short break, but 18 minutes seemed like a really long break. It just like mentally for me worked. So. I now do four of those sessions every single day. Like my day is not complete without doing four sessions of 42 minutes of focus with 18 minutes of refresh. And you have to honor the refresh just as much as you honor the focus. So my refresh time could be doing some pull-ups, maybe some jumping jacks or just going outside and like breathing in the nice Puerto Rican air down here, or, you know, maybe it's, watching you know last night's episode of bachelor or checking on the latest sports game like whatever it might be that refresh time is like my my time to give my brain the ability to relax and this actually interestingly uh jordan kind of circles back to our conversation about sapiens randomly that's why it works because if you can tell your brain, listen, I'm only going to need you for 42 minutes and then you're going to get 18 minutes of pure veg time to do whatever you want, like your brain, it's going to it's gonna be an easier yes where if you're just like, hey, I'm going to sit down at 9 a.m. and I'm locking myself in this room till 4 p.m. and I'm just going to work hard. Your brain's like, heck no, no. Like, <laughs> not going to do it, not going to do it. So you have to trick yourself. Pomodoro techniques works amazingly. I now get more done in these four sessions in one day than I used to get done get done all week long
0: so during those sessions what exactly are the rules well first of all it's usually 20 minutes right but you were just like ah, I can go longer than that how did you come exactly. up with 42 that seems so random
1: it is random and it did it because the 20 minutes didn't work for me. I think I that think the, the actual, if you like Google Pomodoro technique, I think it's 25 and five or maybe 20 and 10, whatever it is, it didn't work for me. It was too short of a focus time. I just felt like it was over before I started and it wasn't a long enough refresh time. So I just played around with it. I tried 60 minutes. It was way too long. I went to 30, like not quite enough. And I just kept kind of playing with it, tinkering back and forth. And guess what? A year from now, it might be like 50 and 15. I don't know, but I know that right now, that works for me.
0: Yeah. That's, it seems like a great amount of time. And the rules are again, what your phone is off. What else is going on? You're just focused on there's, one there's single zero technique.
1: distraction. There's one
0: task that I have one focus and nothing else can happen during those 42 minutes period. And so does this maybe involve like, can you do email during this? I mean, are there things that it doesn't work for that? You're just like, ugh, okay. You can't do it for that because there's two. It's So email
1: would actually be what I consider your refresh time. That's when you're on quote-unquote OPA, other people's agenda. So if you're willing to be on other people's agenda, that's going to be during your refresh time. That's when you can start busting through some emails during those 18 minutes, jumping on Facebook, Instagram... Your 42 minutes of focus needs to be on a task that's going to move your business forward. So, I mean, Jordan, if you were writing a book, that would be a great, uh, you know, a great session to do like uh, one chapter in. Or maybe, you know, the third session of the day is going to be, I'm going to research 10 podcasts to be on to promote my book when it goes live. And like that can be just your focus session. And like whatever you're doing, though, it's really deep, productive work that you're just
0: completely committing to completing. Right. OK, this makes sense. So it, it has to be it can't be like a very complex. I'm imagining this can't be a super complex project. It has to just be kind of heads down. Is it more repetitive or is it just any task? It's just that you're on lockdown.
1: Well, it's you're on lockdown. It's your tasks that you are going to decide are meaningful for your business. And, you know, what I actually do is, I, you know, I've created like this whole process that we can talk a little bit uh, more about later. But I know what those four things are going to be because during my morning routine, I am setting that plate up. I'm setting those four tasks that I'm going to do. So I know going into it what my four sessions will be. What those uh, four tasks and- that are going
0: to be critical to moving my business forward. Great and. Does this? Can you work without this now? Like, are you kind of in the habit of doing this, or do you still need our right, iPhones off, timers on? Do you still use the the ritual around it?
1: You know, I've tried. I've tried to to go away from like having to like use my journal and having to you know go away from the ritual, and it just doesn't work. I just let other things kind of slip in, and so I have to just commit to the entire process that I've created. And that's me. You know, other people, you know, maybe after doing this for a hundred days or thirty or two hundred, you're there. It's just not me. Like I just know that I'm a systems guy. I like to have a system in place, and plus, like I actually love journaling this process myself because I like to go back and look at what I what was working, what wasn't working down the road. Like I love when I hear Tim Ferriss, you know, he talks about how he journals everything in his life. And he's like, you know, if I look at a picture of myself in 2007 and I look good, all I have to do is pull a book off my shelf from that that month in 2007. I can see what I was eating, what I was drinking, what exercise I was doing. And if I want to get back to that person, you know, give or take, you know, 10 years, um, I can do that by just getting back into that because that's what was working for me back then.
0: And I was just like, you know what? That makes sense. I want to start documenting more things. So, do you have categories that you document when you journal? I mean, what what does your journal look like, actually? Or actually, didn't we just accidentally segue into this thing you've got here? <laughs> Hold on a second. Uh, maybe it was an accident for me. It wasn't for you. I know how you roll. <laughs> tell tell me tell me tell me about the the journaling stuff. Tell me about what you've got going on as well, because I know you got a journal coming out, the Mastery Journal. Let's just talk about that, and it makes sense. Yeah,
1: well, I'd love to, because, you know, you had me on last year, which was so, so kind of you. And we talked about the Freedom Journal, which was. Um, kind of my solution that i was providing to my listeners of my podcast eO fire um, where my listeners were struggling with setting an accomplishing goal so i created the tool the resource the step-by-step guide to guide them in accomplishing their number one goal in 100 days and then that was such a success and a hit i said well this is something that people obviously want like like a physical product works journaling is working for my audience so is there something else that makes sense and then i realized that where goal setting was what my, all of my guests on EO fire had in common for why they were successful. Um, I looked kind of inside and said, well, what are my three greatest strengths? And I realized after much contemplation that although I have way, way more weaknesses than I have strengths, I pretty much, when I boil it down to, to what my three greatest ones are, it would be productivity, discipline, and focus. Those are what's allowed me to launch a podcast back in 2012. That was daily. And then turn that into a business. That's grossed over 10 million dollars and just a little over uh, four years now. So I was like, how can I like take those three skills and you know that I've been able to master over these years and put them into a, a tool, a resource, a guide that can show people how I did it and how they
0: can too. Can you sort of walk us through what a page in this might look like? I mean, what does it actually have us doing? you you know what I mean? Like specifically? a day and a page of the journal, literally.
1: Absolutely. So the mastery journal is you mastering productivity, discipline, and focus in 100 days. So what the process is over these 100 days is every single day you're going to get up and you're going to have your morning routine. Now, quick side note is that I have this thing that's called Win Tomorrow Today within the Mastery Journal. So the night before, you're actually writing out what your morning routine is going to be. I have nine bullet points for you there. I mean, some people might use six, some people might use 11, whatever you need. I have nine there for you. Um, And so you are going to be going to bed knowing what your morning routine is going to look like. You know, mine's pretty standard, but you know, some things that are always in there are, exercising, journaling, meditation, things along those lines. And then you're going to be moving into the next uh, section after you finish your morning routine, which is what are your four focuses going to be this day? So you're really going to sit down and say, hey, what are four things that I'm really excited about accomplishing today that are going to be meaningful for my business? They're going to move my business forward in whatever way makes sense for that. And then you move into these four sessions. And when we talked about the Pomodoro technique, Jordan, this is all centered around the Pomodoro technique. So you have a focus time and a refresh time. And I leave those blank. I don't say like 42 minutes and 18 because that's what works for me. And I want people to find what works for them. And within the first few pages of the mastery journal, the kind of the prologue, I I train you and guide you on how to kind of figure out what your perfect time is. So again, for me, it's 42 minutes uh, of focus and then 18 minutes of refresh. So you do just that. You start, you start that timer and you focus on that one thing for those 42 minutes. And then that timer goes off. 18 minutes of refresh, whatever it is that you want to do. And then it's session two. And then maybe you break for lunch. And then it's session three and session four. And you are committing to doing those four sessions intraday. And after every session, Jordan, you are self-evaluating yourself on your productivity and your discipline score. So you're going to be continuously having this score average on both of those two skills as you're going forward over these 100 days. And again, Self evaluation is not easy for everybody, so I teach and train you within the first few pages on on what that means, like how you do come up with that that score. I give you a sample of that number, and then you finish the day pretty simply by just saying, "Hey, what." did I struggle with? Where where did I come up short? And then you identify those struggles, those obstacles, those challenges, and you come up with some potential solutions for them. And then you say, okay, well, what were some things that went well today? So you can start to identify the things that you're really rocking and rolling with. And then of course, as I said, um. At the beginning, you're going to win tomorrow today at the end of every one of those days by writing out tomorrow's morning routine. So you're waking up not like, oh, what am I going to do to fill this void? Am I going to jump into email or to Facebook to jump on other people's agenda? Hopefully not. Hopefully you're going to follow that morning routine that's going to be beneficial to you in your life,
0: yeah, I like the idea of planning this out beforehand. i I don't use the pomodoro stuff, but i'm I'm kind of naturally hyper focused, but I do use a calendar. So every moment of my day, even some of the relaxation relaxation stuff is is in there. So today it was like, 8 a.m. Chinese, and I'm up before 8 a.m., but I already know that I need to, like, brush my teeth and blah, blah, blah. I just know I have to be done with all that stuff by 8 a.m. So I allow myself the flexibility to decide whether or not I shower or brush first, right? You know, I know, (laughs) the freedom, the freedom. That comes with being an entrepreneur or self-employed. And then I, I get Chinese for two hours, then I got a show block, then I've got a show block, then I've got a call, and then I've got transit time because I'm going to get a time massage later, right, because i got to work out the neck. And then I've got an email block because God knows what's in my inbox. And then it's like <laughs> dinner at the parents' house, right? So I've got all that stuff in there, and then that's already – we're looking at 9, 9.30 p.m. So it's it got to be in there because I want zero time going – Hmm. What should I do right now? I guess I could check my email, or I could go online. Oh, you know what? Let's go on Facebook for just a minute, and then like three hours later, you're like, "Oh crap! Uh, I don't have any free time." And I saw that happening with me when I first started the business, and I'm like, "This is just a waste of of life." And I know that a, lo- a lot of people who run businesses run their whole business like this. Oh, I just couldn't get to it today. What'd you do today? And I'll, I know I can see the grind, the gears grinding, and it's like eight ham sandwich. <laughs> had a phone call, <laughs> chatted with my coworker for a minute. I don't know. I didn't do anything today. And I'm like, then you're not busy. No, I am. Okay. Well then let's fix this. Right. So well, that's the
1: thing. There's such a difference between the word busy and productive. And that's why whenever everybody ever says to me, John, I'm so busy. I always say back to them. Okay. But are you productive? They're like always stops him in their tracks. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're busy, but Are you productive? Are you doing something that's actually benefiting your life? Are you just running around putting off fires all day? And frankly... A lot of people are just doing the latter and it's sad. And that's why like I knew that since I was able to master these three skills. And Jordan, like someone like yourself, obviously it sounds like you've mastered at least two and probably three of these of these skills over the time. That you know, you, you might not need this. And like I actually didn't think that I needed the Pomodoro technique. Cause again, I had heard it for years and years, but I just never done it. I was like, That's just an extra step I don't need to take. But man, when I tried the first time, I was just like, My brain clicked into this new gear when I knew there was this timer going down. That after that timer was done, I was done that task. Like I had to be finished and move on to the next one or move on to my refresh time. Like that was kind of a, a big mindset shift for me. And so, those are the things that I incorporated within the mastery journal so that people can really understand that hey, if you're struggling with one, two, or all three of these skills, like, well, welcome to the club. You're in the vast majority, but here's a tool, a guide, a resource that can get you over that hump.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that as well. And I I agree. There's a lot of techniques and things like that that we resist because we're like, well, I'm already productive enough. And you just got to try and see if it helps you be more productive after the learning curve of using the technique helps. Because if I'm I'm at the point where I'm sure you are as well, and a lot of us are who are listening to this, if I'm 1% more productive forever each day, then that's literally a priceless increase. Priceless. And we're talking about 1%. I mean, you might get a tenth of a percent or something like that, which is also really, really good and also priceless. But for some people, it's like, wow, it was 20% more productive today or 15% or 10%. Imagine how much. We don't have to do the compound interest math here, but another additional 1% return over time is millions of dollars for the average investor. So a 10% return over time on your time is tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions, depending on if you're running a business and you're high leverage or not. So think about it, right? Like, oh, I don't really want to get a timer. It kind of seems dumb when you're looking at, well, it might earn you $25 million over the course of your business. Uh, It seems like you might want to get that timer, right? So true. John, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Appreciate it. Jordan, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me, brother great big thank you to John Lee Dumas. His new book will be, of course, linked up in the show notes for this episode. If you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank JLD on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. And remember, you can tap our album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes for this episode right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter, at The Art of Charm. I post a lot of insights there, articles. It's frankly just the best way to get a hold of me on short notice. That's at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Boot camps and our live program details. Those are, that's our school in LA where you work on these skills in the toolbox with us as AOC, as your coaches here. That's a live, it's a week long residential program. Quite intense, if I say so myself, but super rewarding. The details of that are bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Dot com, And I also have the Art of Charm Challenge here for you to dip your toes in the water at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. It's about improving your networking skills, inspiring those around you to develop a relationship with you. I also do regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. And we'll email you the Fundamentals Toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show. It'll make you a better networker, a better connector, and a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Or if you're here in the States, you can text the word charmed, charmed to 33444. For full show notes for this and all previous episodes, head on over to the slash podcast. This episode of AOC was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor, and the show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.